Um, I know you've been wondering whether we would ever get to the text. Um, well, tonight we do. And um, uh, you'd be, I think you're going to be surprised at how fast we're going to run through chapter 2. We'll see. But um, uh, just, to, just to begin, what I'd like to do is uh, read the first five verses of Galatians 2. Um, and then we'll, we'll see how... I mean, I, I think for tonight we'll probably just... I've got some comments about verse 1 is all. But um, let me read you the first five verses. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and also took Titus with me. And I went up by revelation and communicated to them that, that gospel, which I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to those who were of reputation, lest by any means I might run or had run in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. And this occurred because of false brethren secretly brought in, who came in by stealth to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that, we, that they might bring us into bondage, to whom we did not yield submission even for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. Um, guys, I, I, uh, as I read that, you know, it's, it sounds so familiar to our ears, maybe not the story itself, but the, but the, uh, the nature of the text, and by that I mean this, it, it reads almost like you're reading a novel, you know, um, uh, you know, 14 years ago, I went up to Jerusalem and I took these guys with me and, uh, you know, we went up there and we had this conflict, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, the, the, what you're, what you're seeing in verse one is the description of an event of an occurrence, um, uh, a one that is historically verifiable. Now, uh, the reason that I point that out to you, uh, that, that is that, that verse 1 and the rest of really the first uh, nine, uh, 10 verses is describing this event, is because no other religious book does that. Guys, this is unique to the Bible, the, the, the Christian's Bible. Um, no, no other religious book is like this. Nobody does this. Nobody gives you an event. Nobody gives you an occurrence. Nobody names names. Nobody puts you in place this. I, I want to say that it, it gives you dates, but it doesn't give you exact dates, but it does give you years. Um, I mean, for instance, if you were to um, take the Koran, um, you know, guys, l- l- let me confess that I have not read the Koran from front to back, but I have read major portions. It's not that big. I'd, I'd say, I don't know, 120 pages or so, maybe, maybe less. But if you were to read the Koran and set it down next to something like this, I think you would be shocked. Because what you have in the Koran, which of course is the holy book of Islam, um, is this tortured effort on the part of Muhammad to try and sound prosaic or proverbial or poetic or profound, whatever he's doing, and, and some of it, ladies and gentlemen, is just downright incomprehensible. Um, they, they would never give you something like this. They would never point to an event that took place with Titus and Barnabas and Paul over in Jerusalem. Never, you know, in a thousand years would you find something like this in the Koran. You know, interestingly, <coughs> at least to me, <coughs> Um, one of the reasons that is given by uh, Quranic scholars uh, to prove the inspiration of the Quran is the beauty of the language. And the, and the beauty of the language, um, 
I mean, in English, ladies and gentlemen, um, I'm telling you, at points, not only is it contradictory, it's downright incomprehensible. So in reply, the, the, the scholars in, of Islam say, no, 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 we just mean in the Arabic. Because all of the beauty is lost in the translation into the various languages such as English. Now, now think about that for a second, ladies and gentlemen, think. So if, if the beauty is only in the Arabic, and we can only see the profundity in the Arabic, then what about the rest of us who do not speak Arabic? And by the way, it's a very nuanced, a scholarly kind of Arabic. And it's, and it's, 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 de- um, it's designed to be that. This, uh, Muhammad is trying to impress you with his scholarliness. Gang, you will never find anything like this. This is like novel. Oh, Paul and Barnabas and I made a trip to 14 years ago. We went over to Jerusalem and we had this uh, conversation with... No. All, all I'm saying, guys, is um, this is one of the uniquenesses, one of the... Um, well, uniquenesses of the Bible that you and I study. No other religious book is like this. Well, let, let, me, let me just, while, while we're on this subject, um, uh, let, me, let me just show you something. Uh, if you can, real quick, and by the way, this is called a Bible study, and it's called a Bible study because we study the Bible, and, um, and we, we flip around in here quite a bit, and I, 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 I can't apologize for that. But um, if you can find John 21 real fast. This is uh, after the resurrection, uh, Jesus is meeting with the guys on the, on the shores of the Sea of Galilee, and they went fishing, and um, well, I'm in verse 11, uh, John 21, 11. Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to land full of large fish, 153. <laughs> I mean, do you read over that, ladies and gentlemen? Why in the world <clears throat> would the author of John give you the number of fish? Well, we got a lot of fish, there was 153 of them. Why do you want to put that little detail in there? Because that's how many there was. Somebody counted 100. All I'm saying is that kind of thing sets this book apart by miles. None of the other religious books gives you dates and places and names. And, 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 and <clears throat> by the way, did you know that our book also includes fights. You know, there's two really big fights in the New Testament. There's one that we're going to read in Galatians chapter 2. There's another one that's found in Acts 15, where, where uh, Paul got really ugly over the fact that he was going to um, take Mark with him on the next missionary journey. Gang, why would, if you were, if you were creating some kind, if, you were, if it was your intention to create something, why would you include that stuff? Why would you include that there was a fight over here, you know, between Paul and Peter, you know? No, you would, you would expunge that kind of stuff. You wouldn't put in there, there was 153 fish. No, you wouldn't put that. Titus and Barnabas. No, no. Go read the Koran and see the qualitative difference in what you've got in your laps and what four billion Muslims put in theirs. It's different, ladies and gentlemen, and this is just one of the ways that, that you see that difference, okay? Um, I, I point that out because one of the reasons that, I mean, guys, one of the reasons, uh, you might consider this a little odd, but one of the reasons that I believe in the inspiration of that book is because of John twenty one eleven. There were 153 fish. Who does that? 
What kind of nincompoop would put 153 50, unless there were 153 fish? <laughs> but not, 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 uh, not the Korean. You get this, this determined effort to try and... And it's crazy at times. Now, that's just the first point. I mean, that's the first thing I wanted to disappoint at. But the second thing is this, guys. This visit to Jerusalem that is being mentioned in, in, in verse 1 of chapter 2, um, this visit on the part of Paul to Jerusalem, is very likely the same visit that is mentioned, oh good, in Acts 15.1. Now guys, um, I know you don't like to do stuff like this, but uh, you, you need to understand the import of Acts 15. So go over there, just, for, just briefly, I, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time, but you've got to understand, you know, there's this big conflab that takes place <clears throat> and that's what Acts 15 is. Um, um, let me just read you just a couple of verses. One and, and certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren, unless you were circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Therefore, when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute with them, woo, they had another fight there. You know what, guys? I meant to bring it with me. I've got a book in my library. The title of the book is Great Church Fights. All the fights in the Bible. Uh, you know, <clears throat> only the Bible concludes the church fights. But anyway, when there was no small dissension uh, between these guys and Paul and Barnabas, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. Guys, that right there is Galatians chapter 2, verse 1. That visit being described in Acts 15 is the visit that's being described in Galatians chapter 2. Now, what unfolds in the rest of Acts 15 is this meeting. All the church, you know, James is here and Peter's here and, and they, they do all this wrestling around with the truth and finally James makes a statement about, okay, no, we're not going to insist on circumcision. But, but, but that's, <coughs> that is the, um, the same thing <coughs> that is being mentioned in Galatians chapter 2 verse 1. And it's important in a minute, and I'll, and I'll tell you why. So, guys, um, here's, here's the order. Paul is converted. Um, that's in chapter 1, verses 15 through 17. Then there is a three-year period. Remember that? We talked about it back last year, where he goes off into the wilderness, and nobody is out there but him and Jesus. And I suggested to you then that that three years was making up for the three years that he missed um, while Jesus was alive. And then after that, this is in, this is in Acts 2, there is a, a 15-day visit uh, to Jerusalem that is mentioned in um, Acts chapter 1, verse 18. Fourteen years after that one, 14 years later, Galatians chapter 2, verse 1. There's the order. That's what's, being, that's what's being mentioned here. So this big conflab that takes place to settle this thing on circumcision takes place in Acts chapter 15, verse 1, and is alluded to by Paul in Galatians chapter 2, verse 1. You still, are you still there? <laughs> okay, guys. Um, assuming that that's the right sequence, and I think it is, and I think most 
most scholarship agrees. But um, <clears throat> assuming that that's the right sequence, Paul's converted. He's been, uh, you know, he's been a Christian for about 17, 18 years. And um, he is told, and by the way, we'll look at this next week, but he's, he, he goes up to Jerusalem. And if you look in, I think it's verse 2, he goes up by revelation. That is, God comes and says, get up there. He's not invited by the apostles or, you know, it's, um, it's, he goes because he's got something that he needs to get accomplished. Now, assuming this is the right sequence, uh, the next thing I want to point out is, I love this. I love this kind of stuff. But um, I'm not sure that you and I are wired alike. I, I tend to be a... I tend to be mean and you tend to be nice. Uh, that's why I married Susie because, you know, she kind of balances off my being mean. But um, look at verse 1. Then after 14 years, I went up to Jerusalem with Barnabas and also took Titus with me. <laughs> Go get him, Paul! Um, guys, you don't know how big that is. Who is Titus? Well, you're told later on that he's a Greek and he's not circumcised. You got this big, huge controversy going on over the issue of circumcision. And there's this big meeting in, in where all the big shots are in Jerusalem. And Paul's told to get to Jerusalem because we got to get this thing settled once and for all. And what does he do? <laughs> he brings Titus. Um, I mean, guys, an uncircumcised Gentile, even in the streets of Jerusalem, was, was, was scandalous. But to bring him to the meeting, oh my gosh, what, what are you thinking, Paul? Titus is an uncircumcised Greek, and you brought him in here with all these Jewish guys. Um, in essence, what Paul is doing is that he's taking Titus, using him as a test case, and shoving him into the face of all of those Jewish idiots. Guys, this is a provocative act on the part of the Apostle Paul. Oh, oh, I see. <laughs> yeah, you think yeah, that you, you don't need to add circumcision to the gospel, do you? Then take this. Watch this. Come on, Titus. I'd like for you to go with us. He goes into his meetings. Everybody, ooh, no, look who just, Paul just, oh my gosh. You know, guys, it's interesting. Uh, he, he says this twice in these five verses. Um, <clears throat> and also took Titus with me. You know, and he could have stopped by, and I took Titus. But I took Titus with me. Come on, Titus. You and I, we're going to go get this thing settled. And I'm going to take this uncircumcised Gentile and I'm going to stuff him down their throats. Paul provokes them. And you know where you learn that? 
You learned it from Jesus. I want to show you what I mean. Um, go to uh, Matthew chapter 8. Uh, you're going to have to lick your fingers now because, you know, we're studying the Bible, so we have to flip around in there, you know, or punch the little buttons on the side of the phone or whatever you do. Um, <clears throat> okay, um, I- I'm saying to you that this provocative act on the part of Paul was learned from his Savior. Um, we're in uh, Matthew chapter 8, uh, and Jesus, um, hold on here. Um, yes, uh, verse 1, he cleanses a leper. Uh, when he had come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him in, and he, behold, a leper came and worshipped him. And he says, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Now tell me, ladies and gentlemen, how many of you think that Jesus could have spoken the word and made the leper clean? But that's not what he did. What does he do? He touches him. <laughs> guys, you know the, the lepers are the guys that walk down the streets of Jerusalem saying, unclean, unclean, stay away from me, I got an Ebola. Um, don't touch me, I'm, I'm, I'm unclean. And, you know, they lived out in the side of the city, you know, and they, didn't, they couldn't touch anything. And so Jesus walks up to him and says, okay, yes, I'm willing. And everybody went, oh, my. Honey, did you see? He just touched the leper guy. All of those leprosy laws, all of that unclean stuff. Jesus says, um, so you got this problem with, uh, with, your, with your unclean. Then watch this. Hmm. And he touches him. Guys, um, go over to Matthew chapter 12. And, and I, I can't do this very long. We haven't got but 12 minutes left. No, 16 minutes. Um, you go to Matthew chapter 12. And guys, I, 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 somebody needs to do this work for me um, uh, if, if you ever get interested. Just go through the Gospels and figure out the number of times that Jesus healed on the Sabbath. On the Sabbath. Uh, this one... Um, <clears throat> this is chapter 12, verse 1. Um, oh, no, 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 no. Uh, uh, 12.1 is they plucked um, corn on the Sabbath. They're going through the grain fields, and they, they pluck some corn, and, you know, they start eating it. And the Jews are saying, oh, that's against the tradition of the elders. And Jesus says, pass me some of that corn, would you? Get you some more corn there, boys. Um, then you go down to um, uh, verse 9. When he departed from there, he went into the synagogue. And behold, there was a man who had a withered hand, and they asked him, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Ladies and gentlemen, this is a man with a withered hand. This is not a life-threatening disease. He could have waited till Monday, uh, Sunday. He didn't have to do it then. He could have said, Listen, you know, because I want to be... Um, I, wanna, I don't want to violate the Sabbath and my friends over here are taking a little just, just come see me tomorrow and I'll fix you up. But no. A withered hand. He's not, he's not dying. Withered hand and he heals him on the Sabbath. Hey, l- let me show you this. L- look at um, Luke chapter 6. It's the same story, but I just want to show you something that, that they say in, in Luke 6. Um, same story. He's, he's healing somebody of the withered hand. Um, look at verse 10. And when he looked around them all, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. This is Luke 6, 10. And he did so, and his hand was restored as whole as the other. Look at the response in verse 11. But they were filled with rage. Now, what an insane reaction. 
That is, here's a man got a withered hand. He's in the synagogue and Jesus heals him. Wouldn't you say, well, now that's interesting. Or wouldn't you say, uh, now that's really, that's really troubling. Um, or, you know, I, I'm not sure he didn't violate some of the Sabbath uh, uh, instructions. No, 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 none of that. These guys are enraged. And I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, in my humble opinion, what Jesus is doing is taking the, uh, their Sabbath laws and stuffing them down their throats. You guys promote the Sabbath. Watch this. Oh, I can wait till tomorrow, but I'm not going to wait till tomorrow. Because you are so ignorant. And so he, he does things that would provoke them to rage in the midst of their stupidity. You know, guys, um, several years ago, and my wife could tell you how many years ago, um, because my wife still remembers things like this. Um, she still remembers the time that my zipper was down too. Uh, she's still, <laughs> she still wakes up screaming, screaming in the night over that one. Um, <laughs> but, but this one, uh, this was a different one. It wasn't, it wasn't anything quite that bad, but I went to the pulpit. I did this on a Sunday morning. You might've been there. It couldn't have been four or five years ago, but I went, I went to the pulpit and I hid this in the pulpit. I hid it down there, you know, and at a certain moment in the, in my sermon, I had brought a wine glass from my home. Now, we don't own wine glasses at our home. I mean, we, we only have milk glasses and um, <laughs> apple juice glasses. We don't have, but somebody had left one in our house, and so I brought it. Anyway, um, <laughs> I, I brought the wine glass from home, and I had bought a bottle of grape juice, the reddest grape juice, the darkest grape juice I could get. And I had my little wine glass filled with with um, grape juice. And so in the course of my sermon, I took out the glass and I, you know, I kept saying, and you know, over there, and I kept, you know, doing this. And then I, you know, and, uh, and um, yeah, and the Bible says, you know, and then I sipped it. And then at the appointed juncture, I said, tell me this, does your opinion of me depend on the contents of this glass. <laughs> you know where I learned that? I learned it from Jesus. Because if you're going to face that kind of stupidity, ladies and gentlemen, you bring Titus with you. And you walk into the conflab with all of these eyes that are fixed on you. And you say, oh, y'all have some kind of problem, do you, with the, um, with the circumcision thing? Let me introduce you to my buddy Titus here. Because that kind of stupidity. You need to be provoked. Because that's so awful. And ladies and gentlemen, I, I, I say, if your opinion of me depends on the contents of that glass, by the way. And then after all, everybody was, oh, look at the preacher. Oh, it's hysterical. And they're, you know, they're texting all their friends. And, and then I say, it's grape juice. And then everybody's opinion of me changes. Do you see how stupid that is? Now, it's just not stupid, ladies and gentlemen. 
It's, 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 it's borderline wicked. You know, Mark chapter 7, Jesus strides into the synagogue and, and meets with all the Pharisees. And you know what he calls them? He says, you're in error. No, he doesn't. He calls them hypocrites. He provokes them. Because the things that they hold to and the things that they teach are so damaging. And so this whole idea about um, uh, circumcision. Hey, Titus, what you doing next week? Because Barnabas and I are going to Jerusalem and I need an uncircumcised Gentile to go with me. Because I want to provoke these idiots. Gang, this is a bold move that you're reading about in Galatians chapter 2, verse 1. Paul is risking the same kind of outrage that you read in chapter 6, verse 11 of the Gospel of Luke. When he marches into Jerusalem with an uncircumcised Gentile, you know, kind of as a bud, he is risking the same kind of, of rage that Jesus faced when he healed a man with a withered hand on the Sabbath. And I'm telling you, both of them did it for the same reason. That kind of stupidity cannot be allowed to go unchecked. I'm telling you guys, this Apostle Paul dude, he's a man. And you and I owe him, owe him a whole lot. It was us. It's, it's, it's as a result of Paul's boldness that we don't today have two churches, a Jewish one and a Christian one, that is in, Christian, in Christendom. No, no, no. He got that taken care of for us. It's because of the Apostle Paul that we still enjoy this thing called Christian liberty. It's because of Paul. Paul, a bold man that says, I'm going to Jerusalem and there's going to be all these people with all these stupid ideas, so I'm going to take me a Gentile, uh, an uncircumcised Gentile with me and I'm going to stuff him down their throats. He learned that from Jesus. And I learned my little move. I learned that from Jesus too. Okay, <clears throat> one other thing and I'm, and, I'm, and I'm done for the night. Well, wait, wait, wait a minute, Dr. Young. Um, I, thought, I thought Paul... Had, um, had, uh, uh, had circumcised somebody back there on one of his missionary journeys. Ooh, very good. He did circumcise somebody. He circumcised Timothy. Um, that's in Acts chapter 16, verse 3. Uh, Paul is in Derby and Lystra, which are two Gentile cities. And he, he, um, he meets up with this Timothy guy who is converted. His, um, his mother was Jewish. His father was Greek. But uh, he was raised as a Greek because that's what happens. You know, you kind of live with the father, not with the mother. Um, but Paul has him circumcised, but not Titus. Why? I mean, isn't that a little bit inconsistent on the, on the part of the Apostle Paul? I mean, uh, I mean, he circumcised that guy, but he didn't circumcise this guy. I mean, what's the problem here? Well, guys... Um, the difference is the audience. You see, in this meeting in Acts 15 and the one that's alluded to in Galatians 2.1, something really big was at stake. And in fact, he says it, um, if you'll look back at Acts 15 um, verse 1, this is the kind of the thing that prompted the big meeting. 
um, this is Acts 15, 1, and it says, um, uh, And certain men came, from, came down from Judea and taught the brethren, unless you were circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. There it is. There it is. You've got to be circumcised to be saved. And because that was the thing that was at stake, the Judaizers were claiming that circumcision was necessary to be saved. Paul had one option, and so do we. You've got to fight that. Now, over in Acts 16, when it said Timothy, mm, that's, not what the, that's not what was at stake. So you, um, oh yeah, I'll be fine. Circumcising, that's just fine. Go right ahead. But ladies and gentlemen, when somebody is tampering with the truth of the gospel, which we're going to come to in verse 5 of this, uh, this chapter. When somebody's tampering with that, you have one option. And that option is to fight it. You know, guys, um, um, there are those in our day who insists that baptism is essential. It's essential for those, if you are not baptized, you cannot be saved. We have one option. You have to fight that. Whatever it takes, it's got to be overturned. It's the same mistake. The one that Paul fought in Acts 15, the one he fights in the book of Galatians, when somebody begins to tamper with the provisions of the gospel, there's only one choice that we have. We got to fight it. Let me give you an illustration. Maybe this will help. Let's say that um, two men come to me and they both want to be baptized. And so I ask them um, what it is that they hope to accomplish with their baptism. And one of them says to me, I want to be baptized, Dr. Young, because I want to be saved. And I say to him, Sorry, son, I can't baptize you. The other one comes to me and says he wants to be baptized. And I say, well, why do you want to be baptized? And he says, well, I simply want to obey my Savior. And I say, be glad to baptize you. Do you see that, ladies and gentlemen? On one occasion, Paul saw fit to circumcise Timothy because the audience was different. But when the audience is the Judaizers of Acts 15.1 saying you've got to be circumcised to be saved, he says, Titus... Come on. We're going to get them. And we're going to get them big. And I'm going to stuff you down their throats. Guys, um, on, the, in the, on the occasion of Timothy, Paul is simply trying to lessen the offense so that he can preach the gospel in Derby and Lystra. Fine. Go ahead and be circumcised. As long as everybody knows that that circumcision earns nothing. Gang, neither did your baptism earn you anything. Gang, here's something that you ought to write down. This is something that... This is something that you've got to be... It's got to come... Second nature to me now. Here it is. Grace is not the enemy of effort. Grace is the enemy of earning. 
Grace is not the enemy of effort. It's the enemy of earning. If you try to attach some kind of meritorious value to any act, your baptism or your whatever, your church membership, grace is not opposed to effort. In fact, it encourages, it invites, it applauds, it, it, it stresses effort. But what grace is opposed to is the idea that any of that effort and somehow earns you anything. It earns you nothing. Ladies and gentlemen, there is no merit in anything that you've ever done. You know, Augustine used to say, our greatest works are splendid sins. That's all we got to offer. There's only one merit, ladies and gentlemen, and that merit is in Christ, as you well know. But, as long as you understand that we're, what I'm doing is not going to merit you anything, I'd be glad to circumcise him. But if you for one second hint that this circumcision event merits something, mm, I got to fight you. I got to fight you tooth and nail. And what I see is the Apostle Paul in all of his beauty saying, you're going you're to teach that? Then watch this. Titus, could you go to Jerusalem with me? And when we're done, these guys are going to be crying uncle because of the stupidity of the idea that I could do something sacramentally to contribute to my ultimate eternal destiny. Can't stand that. We've got to stop it. We've got to fight it. We've got to speak out against it. Just like the Apostle Paul. Let's quit. Our Father, uh, we thank you for the, the, the gospel of grace, which, which because we are responding to the gospel, we work hard. We work hard to glorify you, knowing that none of that hard work merits anything. We don't earn anything, Lord God. It's all been earned for us by Jesus Christ. And we celebrate him and what he's done for us. And in response to him, in response to what he's done, we find it our delight to try and glorify him in our service. So, knowing that our service is not meritorious, but we still perform it because we have been overcome by the provisions of the gospel. Make that very clear in the minds of every listener here tonight. Might no one at Grace Evan ever, ever make the tragic mistake of thinking that one of their acts contributed, contributed to the standing of their soul. It is Christ, 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 Christ in his life, Christ in his death. And by him, we have merit given to us. And in that we rest. We pray, of course, in Jesus' name. Amen.